Hello world, my name is Klaus Rostel and I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. You're listening to the business of Extraordinary Experiences. Today with me in the studio, I have Nils Forsberg. And Nils, he's pretty interesting. He's also funny, which is good because Nils is a stand-up comedian by profession. But unlike a lot of comedians, he also has a master's degree in performance design, so he approaches it a little bit more academically than most. Nils is also a podcast host and just released his episode number 100 yeah. of a pretty cool podcast. It's in Danish, sadly, so we're not going to dive too much into that. Well, we, a, we, we could dive a little. We could, dive a little. we could dive a little. It's uh, about computer games. It's so. about computer games, and I actually have two episodes in English. So oh. if you if you uh, if your Google foo is strong, <laughs> then uh, we'll put it in the show notes, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a way of saying you'll never hear about it again. <laughs> so Nils, nice. welcome to the show. Thank you. Now this episode is going to be a little bit different than most because Nils and I are both people who want to hog the microphone and talk all the time, and we also like to pretend to be funny. Nils is just better at it than I am. So if it gets a little bit weird, a little bit like uh, we're trying to one-up each other, then it's because we are. Yeah. 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 So, Nils? Well, I, I'll, I'll take lead on the funny. You can take lead on the talking. I like that. I'm funny. Are you saying you're most funny when you're silent? <laughs> oh, man, that would have made my job so much easier. It would, right? You just get up on stage. I'm writing a new show right now, and I could save myself a lot of work. Has any? Before we get into that, do you know of any comedian who's ever done a silent show? Oh, yeah. Uh, I watched, oh, I forget his name, which is really annoying because it was hilarious. I believe it's a New Zealand uh, comedian. Oh, it's annoying. I forget his name, but he's a mime. Oh, that's and nice. I, I, I saw him, uh, like first I saw he had a thing that went like kind of semi-viral. And then he went to Denmark and I saw his show. And it was, I think he sold like 120 tickets. And... 95 of them were Danish comedians and Danish bookers Ooh. who just was like, we need to check out this guy. Like, what the... So he's doing an hour with no words, and he did, and it was hilarious. <laughs> that's pretty nice. And I, I guess that's that's a little bit the dream, right? That That you do something that's your thing, that's special, that's unique, and then your colleagues or the people, your peers come to check you out because they're thinking, how the hell does he do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a distinct... Um, uh, you see that when, when... like It's like that in Denmark, and I assume it's the same in every, every country. There's a comedy scene. Like, oh, yeah, so there are the comedians the audience want to see, and there are the comedians that the other comedians want to see. Yeah, they're not the same, I guess. Uh, well, or at least to well, some degree. To some degree they are, but, but there's a, like, uh, yeah... There, um, there are some where I snap my fingers a little more than I do at others, which might not always be the same as who sells the most tickets. Yeah. Speaking of selling the most tickets, this is your profession. Mm -hmm. First you did it for fun, then you did it for beer, then you did it for money, and now you do it for real money. Yeah. Tell me of that evolution, because in, in some ways your story is that of a classic creative who had a dream, who pursued it, and who finally made it but not exactly in a safe and easy way. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I um, I really often get the, uh, how come you're so brave? Why are you, you're so brave doing what you're doing? And I'm like, I'm not brave. I'm an attention whore. 
<laughs> getting getting up on that stage isn't isn't me overcoming some internal fear. No, no, no. It's me going. Hello, could you? Hello, world. Could you notice me? Could you please uh, clap at what I say and make me acknowledge me as a human being? <laughs> so. it's, it's your, and ironically, I, the other day I heard a podcast and there's an interview with Nina something. She's a hotshot Hollywood producer, Pirates of the Caribbean, all that mm. sort of stuff. Really big name. And one of the things she says was the worst word you can get when you launch a movie in Hollywood is somebody comes to your screening and says, it's very brave of you. It's a brave yeah, film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so maybe they're just, uh, maybe that's the thing. No, I understand what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And so so I started doing it. I've I've. I think there are like very roughly cut two types of comedians. There is the funny guy in class, and there's the class nerd. Uh, I was the typical class nerd. Um, in my youth, I didn't have many social skills, didn't have many friends, didn't fit in. So I spent a lot of time outside the social circles, observing and thinking silently in the corner. You were the silent comedian. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was. Um, so um, I was never the the being the center of attention all the time uh, in social circles. Uh, where was I getting with that? You kind of derailed me here. Uh, that's what I do. You were saying there are two kinds. There's the funny guy. Yeah, and but why was the I saying that before? Because that. you were talking about your profession as a comedian. Yes, there we go. So uh, I. I was a comedy nerd. Like, I really geeked out. I saw every comedy show I could find. I bought uh, and I downloaded illegally and I went to see the live shows and I did all that stuff. So I was really, really, really into it. So I was a comedy fan way more before I became a comedian. Then I had a friend of mine who started doing comedy and we started jamming a little, just like for the hell of it. And one day he was like, so uh, I'm doing a show and I need a warm-up act. Nice. Uh, can you do 10 minutes? I was like, okay. And so I had my debut, uh, which went really well, which was a big problem in my career. Yeah, because usually in comedy, debuts are always like, and I sucked. Yeah, I didn't suck, which was a very big problem because that meant that I thought I had nailed it. From the, from the start, I thought I was good, which meant that I had to take a lot of beatings on stage afterwards before I realized, hey, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I need to actually work at this and, and practice and, and write more and write new shit and do my thing. So I finally started that evolution. And then uh, one day after an open mic, a guy came up to me and said, "Hey, you're really funny. Uh, can I? Uh, would you perform at my son's birthday party?" And then I got my first gig, and um, a talent agent went up to me after another show and he says, "Hey, I have this booking site. Can I put you on there?" Yeah, sure. And then more and more jobs started coming, and I started putting up my own shows for the festivals and started selling tickets in my own name. And that just slowly overtook all the other plans in life I had until I could see myself actually like sustaining a career, surviving doing this. And that's where I am now. 
and you're you're doing pretty well because not only are you doing shows, you're doing nerd comedy to be, oh, yeah. and you're really good at it, and and do it with some cool people. I've seen some of your shows. The second is you're doing. I mean, you're doing the podcast, which doing a podcast mm -hmm. is basically the most well-paid job in the universe. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 all of you out there, just we we really make a lot of money doing this. We're like <laughs> we're like stinking rich from our podcast. But the funny thing is, money I, rains in my, from the sky. My podcast pay. I, I have a very few select wonderful listeners who donate for every for every episode, but that that covers my expenses. But uh, remember that you and me spoke about content. Yes, uh, we did. Yeah, the thing, uh, and that's my like. That's your content marketing. Content marketing. Yes. Yeah, it keeps me relevant, and because I'm the guy who does that podcast, that means that I expose myself to thousands of people every week. Of course. And it means that I today get a lot of gigs uh, because I'm the guy who does that podcast. Tomorrow I'm hosting the red carpet and the uh, after show at the Danish Game Awards, which is really pretty big thing. Pretty fucking big thing. But I wouldn't have gotten that gig if I wasn't the gaming, the gamer comedian with that podcast. No, of course, of course. And to those of you listening, there is a slight suspicion that this podcast also functions a little bit like content marketing for the College of Extraordinary Experiences. Yeah, sure, sure. That's that's part of it. Um, Niels has just done 100 episodes so far, and we're not even close to that. But that's also why he's hosting the <laughs> Gaming Awards, and I'm not. But, but that leads me to another thing you're doing, and you're doing really, really successfully, is you've built a career in comedy to not just being funny on stage, but being on stage and being funny. To do hosting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was more elegant than it was. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I have those moments. Yeah, I gotcha. I have a lot. But of yeah, them. I do. Um, I do a lot of wonderful gigs that isn't stand up, but I am really good at because I'm good at stand up. Exactly, exactly right. my point. That you're you have a stage and then you're funny, but yeah. you're not on the stage because you're funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on the stage so, uh, because you're good. Yeah, I I host conferences and I like. Uh, were, um, the League of Legends World Championships was shown live in the biggest uh, cinema in Denmark. So it's live from France, but there's a thousand people. So I'm the, the Danish host of the stream. Um, and again, that doesn't have a lot to do with comedy. It's more about facilitating vibes, which I'm good at because it, like, if you can get up in front of 12 drunken carpenters and have them and facilitate a mood for them, then it's very, very easy to facilitate a thousand people who actually want to be there and actually want to hear what you have to say. Amen, amen to that. I also prefer bigger audiences. I think they're- Yeah, it's always easier. When I do this podcast, I know that they're, because we don't really track listener numbers precisely, mm -hmm. my estimate is that there may be 2 million people listening to this. Yeah, that sounds about right. 2.2, maybe. I don't ask Vanna, our producer, about those numbers because <laughs> what, if he tells me it's three, I'm not really going to be happier. Yeah, gotcha. But if he tells me it's lower than 2.2 million, I might be a little bit sad. Gotcha. So, so we'll, gotcha. we'll stick with that. You had a realization at the College of Extraordinary Experiences where, where you've joined us a couple of times. And that was something that I find interesting enough to bring it onto the show, not just as a plug for the event where people have aha moments, mm. but because it's interesting in itself. Well, yeah. Uh, it dawned on me after the first year 
that uh, I begin, I had been exposed to uh, the concept of experience economy uh, in college, but I didn't like feel it. I didn't actively work with it uh, before the the College of Extraordinary Experiences. And I learned that in the uh, speaking about how to transform your product from a service to an experience, it dawned on me that I had very much treated my comedy as a service. Because I am a comedy nerd. Like I'm the, the nuts and bolts, the setup punchline ratio, the like all of the, the tools of the trade that I geek out about. That's what I look for when I see comedy. So I assumed that was how everybody viewed comedy. Mm. Which is turns out not the case. The vast majority of comedy audiences just want to be entertained. They want to have fun. They want to be seen. They want to be engaged. So what I used to do was write jokes at home and then come to the comedy club with a with a sheet of my jokes and then I'd read my jokes and then I'd walk away. Because you were testing the service. Well, uh, or, or you, were, you were testing the joke, obviously, but you were like... But also, were, also when providing the service. Oh, even when... Like, oh. when I, when I, like I, I go to a Christmas party of How lawyers. How do people hire Jungs? But you're, you're no, and I say this with with quite a bit of fondness because Nils is an old friend, and he's hyper charming and charismatic. So I I have a hard time picturing you walking onto a stage with a piece of paper and like delivering it like a well, maybe a, not with a piece of paper, but I had I had uh, rehearsed it from okay, okay, like, sure, okay, then I get it. Yeah, like I had I I had I executed only my own plan. Got it. Now I understand. Right, I can see that happening. Um. So I had prepared maybe, let's say, 20 minutes of jokes, and I would arrive, and I would say those 20 minutes of jokes in the order I had thought of for back home, and if someone interrupted me or something happened, I felt that very, I felt that like that uh, destroyed my flow. So very tight control. Yeah, and the thing is, well, that was because I was so focused on my flow instead of the flow of the room. Mm. And that is where I believe comedy transcends from service to experience is when you engage your audience. When you... Um, like, there's, there's... I really, really like the service part of comedy, right? I really like being the audience of a comedian who has spent a long time perfecting her craft, doing the thing, rehearsing, testing, reiterating, all that thing that I get that delivered to me. I like that. But I don't like getting it delivered in an arrogant, you people are here to explore my art mm -hmm. kind of way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I wrote my master's degree on uh, the, the, oh, how do I say that in English? The Theater theoretical aspects of stand-up comedy. The theater theoretical aspects of stand-up the comedy. The theater theoretical aspects of comedy. Right. Um, and um, uh, one of my aha experiences there, I interviewed Danish comedian Carsten Bach, who said that it seems that the best compliment he could get from an audience member was the audience member would come up to him and say, Oh, fuck, man, that was fantastic. You just spent 20 minutes talking about Dennis's car. And what Carsten doesn't tell that guy is, yeah, I also did that yesterday, 
But yesterday I was talking about Benny's car. Mm. So um, the difference, like uh, at the college reunion, we had an open mic. There was a guitar. I grabbed the guitar. I know a English song written by a fantastic comedian called Stephen Lynch, a guitar comedian. Um, it's a song called If I Were Gay. Uh, I really love the song. What I could have done was, hey, I could have said to the room, hey guys, here's a funny song I know, and I could have played the song. What I did was I pointed at Andrew, my buddy in the audience, that everybody knows, and I looked him, him straight in the eyes, and I said, Andrew, buddy, this is for you. And then... Because it's of course the same it's the same song, the same jokes, but the framing of them make them personalized. And that was kind of my my aha experience that I believe a lot of experienced designers experience mm -hmm. is that you don't need to reinvent the deep plate. Is that a thing in English? Can you say the deep plate? Let's call it the wheel. Yeah, the wheel. We don't you know, have a deep yeah, plate. Yeah, 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 yeah. The rest of the world has a wheel. Which is why the rest of the world's cars work better. Yeah, and we're fat. <laughs> That's just me. This is actually pretty slim and kind uh, of athletic. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time, but you do need to apply the wheel to a different car every time. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're out there and you have the, the, the idea of, I want to work in the experience design business, well, it, it's okay to have a standardized product that can then be customized. You don't need to start building the product from scratch every time you have a new customer. And that's the place I'm at now. Like uh, the day after tomorrow, I have a classical Christmas party at a company in Hillel. So I know I'm going to go there and I got to do 20 minutes. Um, but instead of what I would do before was I would just take my 20 minutes best jokes and bring them. What I do now is I ask the company to send me a long email about who they are, where they're from, what they talk about in the office. Uh, I study the company's website. Like every company has five bullshit sentences the five values yeah. and, and then you integrate them because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so my jokes are still the same but the i just frame them in an experience design manner that makes it much more personal and that makes me much more uh likable i guess uh from the crowd sure so so you have a you have a, a certain amount of product or of standardization, mm -hmm. but it's made in a way so you can tweak it and personalize it. So yeah, yeah, at the yeah. end, the experience is personal rather than impersonal. Yeah, yeah. Now, like this job uh, in two days from now is an international crowd, so I'm going to be doing it in English. Well, then I know don't bring only specific Danish references. That's, that's a very low-key point um, about this, but it, it, it serves to, like set the scene for like just remember your customers and bring your customers into the thing um i also discovered something very interesting while writing my essay my master's degree is the people who interrupt you at a comedy show is in comedy terms called a heckler mm -hmm. now i was always very aggressive towards hecklers 
because I felt that they interrupted my flow. What I discovered from talking with some very fantastic comedians is that the, well, there exist two types, two types of hecklers, the constructive and the destructive. The vast majority of hecklers are people who maybe are not so used to comedy that they understand the social rules in the magic circle of a comedy show. They talk in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And they feel energy being poured out into the room in a, in a conversational manner. And they, they feel that and they want to join in. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I trash talk those people, Hey, can you imagine this guy interrupting me? What you think you're the comedian? Mm -hmm. If I do that with the constructive dude who just feels the energy and wants to play along, then I lose the audience. Then I'm a shithead. And then you have the other hecklers who are the destructive ones who might be drunk or violent or uh, just completely out of reach. Well, if I go aggressively after them, then the rest of the audience is on my side because the rest of the audience acknowledges just that these guys are actually ruining the show. I understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, and I've also opened up a lot more for, I guess you could call improv comedy co-creation mm -hmm. in, yes. in, in this Definitely. concept, right? Uh, now, of course, there are people who do purely improv, which is like pure co-creation. They'll go on stage and they'll go, uh, give me a figure of authority. Give me a figure of authority. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Give me a location. This podcast studio. All right. Here's the sketch about Donald Trump in this podcast studio. And there we go. Yeah. Right? That would be the, the pure co-creation. Um, but I like to uh, involve the audience more in a co-creative way today that if I, let's say I have some jokes about the zombie apocalypse, <coughs> which I do. Which you do. Today, I will include a segment in that where I just find the person in the audience who looks interesting and go, what are you going to do when the zombies come? Without having an idea, without just, uh, and that might not be the, the biggest punchline of the thing, but just exploring that together. Just seeing where it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if that person says something funny or interesting or catchy or whatever, then I can maybe uh, five minutes later, I can bring that into the whole, sure. like doing the call, the callbacks and doing all this. Um, so, so my base product is still the same, which is the shape I believe stand up is best is when it is really well thought through and well designed. It's been tested, it's been reiterated, it's been rewritten, you've killed your darlings, you've rehearsed, this is it. But that's not enough anymore. You need that. But if you can combo that with the ability to engage and involve, what's that mean? It means uh, involve. Involve. Yep. Involve your audience. Then those jokes will hit home even harder. And I believe in a, like getting back to the whole uh, experience design podcast business of business experience business is I believe many people who engage themselves in the experience economy can utilize this same idea that you, uh, that you have a very well-designed 
product. But you, even though your product is well designed, you still acknowledge the differences of your customers and leave room for modulization, leave room for improvisation. Um, yeah. I like that. I, I like that a lot. And I think it's, it's, as you say, it's easy to apply that in other fields. Instead of thinking you deliver a thing, instead you deliver a thing but also create a space. Yeah. Let's talk about a different space for a moment. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about let's let's put funny nils and happy nils and smart nils. <laughs> let's put them in a closet. Yeah. Not because there's uh, a gay joke coming, because while that was funny nah, in that context, there might. <laughs> I think in this context it's not going to be funny. Okay, now All it right, might bring be. It, bring it. No. Um, actually, a, a side question: since more and more comedians and more and more people in general are realizing that being gay is just like being red-haired or just being a human being. It's just a statement, not not a thing. Is there still a lot of gay jokes? I mean, I think that would be going away with the stigma. Um, or well, it's just I, a short I, I, Yeah. The, I'd like to broaden the answer, if I may, because yeah, there's sure. also, like, in the world, there will always be gay jokes, and there will always be... <laughs> That's there a statement. Will, like, and there will be fart jokes, and there will be racist jokes, and there will be... Um, the thing is, all of those jokes are very often the low-hanging fruit of jokes. They are jokes, but they're rarely elegant. Mm. So you might hear, when you hear new comedians starting out, especially if it's a male comedian, you'll very often hear that comedian telling a lot of jokes about their dick. Because it's low-hanging fruit. Oh! Hey! Um, because, yeah, because it's a low-hanging fruit. Because that's the, the first, when you start exploring funny stuff. Your dick then, is the first thing? <laughs> your dick is the first thing. Or someone different than you. Sure. Is a grounds for comedy. Or a concept you don't understand. Or something taboo is, um, very often a subject for, for comedy. And I personally really enjoy writing jokes about taboo subjects, but I'm also very aware that when I write about taboo subjects, I first of all have to be more elegant than usual, and I have to be very, very aware that I can only kick up. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, I can do jokes about um, people of less power than myself, but I, if I do that, then I need to be the loser. When I kick up, when I uh, make jokes about establishments or like I'm a privileged white dude, so I have to look a lot up to find something up That's gonna be hard, to yeah. kick at, right? But when I do, when I talk about politicians or systems or... Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Um, then I can go hard. The problem with the low-hanging fruit jokes is that it will often be the person of lesser power than the joker that is the butt of the joke. And that, in my mind, makes the joke automatically not funny. Yeah, I get that. Makes sense. Okay, thank you. That was a digress yeah. digression, so thank you for that. But it's a, it's a very important point that, uh, if I may just dig a little more, in, these, in all these days of... Uh, we'll get back to the business of experience. Experience. In these, in these days of um, 
there's a lot of talk about freedom of speech. Well, many use the freedom of speech as a shield to allow themselves to be douchebags. Or they will say something outrageous, and then when someone calls their bullshit, they'll go, what, you can't take a joke? But like a joke is not a shield from repercussions. You're not allowed to step on people just because you do it with a set of punchline, which is a very big point for me, and I think a big point for a lot of modern comedians, um, where the, the, the way I see comedy going today, there was a thing, it might have been international, but it was a big national meme. Uh, we used to listen to our politicians and laugh at our comedians. Mm -hmm. Today we laugh at our politicians and listen to our comedians. So it seems like, uh, but also with the Daily Show and uh, and the the comedy culture coming from America specifically, is that comedy today is an outlet for exposing hypocrisy and kicking up. So if you kick down, I will not, as a professional comedian, acknowledge your use of the joke format as a shield. You're still a douchebag. And and. I completely agree on that. I've also seen it in the art world that the the excuse I'd call it, to, oh, but it's art. Like, but but I'm still bored out of my skull. I still paid, <laughs> I paid a hundred dollars to get bored out of my skull, and and this was really crap. Oh, but it's art. Like, it, but that doesn't excuse it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's our it's like, our uh, mutual friend. Uh, <laughs> I've. Let's not name that. Person. No, let's not name that uh, Irish art dealer we both know. Let's not. Let's no. not name him. But he had a fantastic point because uh, he knows shit about art. And we had a discussion about this. Uh, Dark Durkin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there we go. Uh, we had a fantastic debate about And Mark knows his art, right? And uh, he just said, well, art is art. That doesn't mean that there can't be shitty art. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. It's not, it doesn't, it, it was just a joke, but it can still be terrible. It could yeah, be terrible yeah. art. It I, might I, be a joke, but that doesn't mean it's a good joke. No. That doesn't give you leeway. All right, we, we digress. And we talk a lot, you see. We do. <laughs> we and, to. and we were going to talk about experience design. And instead, we, that's Eunice, yeah. uh, made this into a deep dive into stand up comedy, which well, I love. Yeah. I, I love that. But it also means that. Get, get, get back on track. Yes. So yeah. to get back on track, I was trying to get into something I ask all the people on my podcast, and you're not going to be exempt from that. Mm -hmm. Tell me of the dark side. Tell me of the times you want to give up, when you're frustrated, when the world is terrible. I know you've had yeah, plenty yeah, of these yeah. moments. Yeah. Like when you, as a comedian, when you've spent so much time at home geeking out about what you've written and you really poured time, effort, soul and resources into it and you've rehearsed it and you get up on stage and you discover, turns out I'm the only one in the world who actually thinks this is funny. Ow. Yeah. Um, well, I guess there's a, there's a common design lesson to be learned there mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the kill your darlings concept that... A comedian will always be, well, a successful comedian is more than the sum of their jokes. Like a successful designer is more than the sum of what they have designed before. Mm -hmm. 
So I am I started out like I think most comedians do by being very attached to my material. And today I'm like, if this joke doesn't work, fuck it, I'll write a new one. It's just it's not the thing. Yeah. You're the thing. I'm the thing. And yeah, my my jokes are a a way of doing that. Like let's say you're an architect. Um uh, yeah, you might have uh, designed a chair that made it big, and then you design another chair that doesn't make it big. Doesn't matter. You, you design a new chair. Um, if you are doing escape rooms, well, you might have done something that make uh, your business valid, but the next escape room you did maybe wasn't as uh, popular. Well, you design a new one. Like kill your darlings. If it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. And it doesn't matter. Make something new. Learn from your mistakes. Make it even better. Right? So I guess that that segues nicely into my three question, which is coming up now, which is give us three experience design tips. And that counts as number one because it's a good tip. Yeah. Don't be too attached to the work. Be attached to you, yeah. so to speak. Two more experience design tips from Nils. Two more experience design tips. Um, never assume your, uh, never assume, uh, well, how can I say this? Your, the values or ideas or wishes of your participants. So on one hand, you should know your audience. On the other hand, you should never assume. But no, that's the, it's the same. Ah, Interesting. So I can go to this uh, show I'm doing in two days from now and go, well, it's an international crowd. I'm sure they'll love to hear jokes about Donald Trump. Mm, and maybe they won't. And then I, uh, when I, and I can think that and not read their webpage and then go have a, uh, a fantastically catastrophical job and get back and see that the audience I'm performing for is the, the Donald Trump fan group of Northern uh, Scandinavia, whatever, whatever, right? So instead of assuming what your participants want, ask them. First of all, that uh, makes it way easier for you to give that to them. True. And secondly of all, they can't be mad at you afterwards because you gave them what they want. Ooh. Higher success rate, less responsibility. There we go. Yeah. Um, the last... Well, the last advice for me for experience design is maybe a little boring, but... You're a funny guy. You get acquainted boring. with the theories of experience design. There are many very good books and very smart people who know what they're doing. Um, like, if you want to engage people in an experience, well, understand what liminal thinking and liminal thresholds do in order to facilitate magic circles. Understand what is a magic circle. Understand the difference between a temporary and a permanent transformative experience. Um, and... I found that once I got into the geekiness of the experience design and, and with the theoretical applications of it, it became way faster and much more effective of, let's say I, uh, let's say I do a show. Well, do I want a warm-up act and or why? 
Well, I want that in order to facilitate the going transition the audience temporarily mm -hmm. from private person in society to member of audience. And I've done that in, in a number of different ways throughout my shows. I've had warm-up acts. I've had uh, songs that the audience had to sing. I've had orcs hand, uh, like ripping their tickets in half and chewing them, like whatever. But just knowing that crossing the liminal threshold needs some push that means that I can way easier facilitate that. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. If I, either you're going to hate this or you're going to like this. Bring this it. is like a joke. And I may, I may end up I'm here just being. Just going to say, it sounds like something class would say. I may end up being. I may end up being the only one in the room who Nils is laughing already. That's good. So if I'm going to sum up your last point, is it fair to say that if you want to go bazinga pop culture reference? You should read up on your Huizinga academic reference. <laughs> See? Killed it. Killed it. If, uh, if anybody else doesn't get the reference, that's okay. Niels did, and I know my audience. Uh, fuck. And I didn't ask you because you would have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I don't want that right. joke. But you got read, it. Read Huizinga. Yeah. 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 Do read Huizinga. Uh, Huizinga helped me a lot. The last thing is mm -hmm. housekeeping. Where do we find you? Where do you exist on the internet? Well, for those not Danish of you, I don't exist a lot on the internet. But a little. But a little. Uh, my podcast is called Aldrig AFK. A-L-D-R-I-G space AFK. There are two episodes, both taped at the College of Extraordinary Experiences in English. And if... Um, If you uh, have found those and want more, you have to seek me out. Like I'll occasionally do English gigs in Denmark, but uh, my main shtick is Danish. So uh, smash the like button and wait for me to say, now something happens in English. Being in Denmark is a good place to find me. If you're Danish, you can find me a lot of places. Um, you can find, uh, I of course have the, the Facebook uh, comedy page. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, Aldrig AFK, if you're into video games and podcasts. Um, all of my stand-up shows are available at the wonderful webpage called motherload.dk. And um, I am working on a new show, which is going to be called Dumb Jokes and Dragons. And that's going to hit the country from March till the Zulu Comedy Festival 2020. So you might find me there. You might find me in geeky locations like the Danish Game Awards or uh, Net Party Fyn, Denmark's biggest LAN. I host a lot of geeky stuff around the world, uh, around the country mainly. <laughs> But around the world sounds better. Around the world sounds better, yeah. Nils, we're now closing in. At, this is supposed to be about a half an hour. And we're closing in on 39 minutes. Well, so my so podcast is usually one hour plus. So I, I'm just getting started. You, so it means that for the last thing here, we need to keep it short. Uh, because so. I have the last thing for you is mm -hmm. you get a chance to take over the podcast for just a moment. Mm -hmm. Is there a question you feel I should have asked you you want to answer? Do you want to say something to the world? Do you want to tell a joke? The last moment is yours. Not the completely last, because I'll round off, but like <laughs> this, this I need some control. This moment is yours. <laughs> Or I could just do the Huizinga joke again. But go on, it's yours. <laughs> See, funny second time. See, Reuse the material. Here's the problem of being a 
comedian better at writing at home than being the funny guy in class? I don't know what I want to say right now. Uh, yeah, actually I do. Uh, this hasn't got shit to do with the experience economy, but I'm gonna go with it anyway. I meet a lot of people who say, I don't like stand-up. And I very often meet a lot of otherwise intelligent and cool people who say, I don't like stand-up. When I hear that, I hear, I don't like the stand-up I have been exposed to. So I would encourage you, if you're one of those people, to explore comedy and find the comedy that can help broaden your mind. And do go see live shows because comedy works better live and it's a better experience live. So go support your local comedians and clap and don't interrupt them. <laughs> Very specific for getting into Destructively. <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, it doesn't have to be comedy. Whatever you geek on about, geek on about it. If you like tennis, well, go see tennis live. If you like jazz ballet, if you like uh, role playing, well, go fucking do the thing. Go fucking go do fucking the thing. do the thing. Yeah. With that I might drop on that. With those beautiful words from Nils, we're going to end this episode, which is so far the longest episode of the podcast. <laughs> because comedy takes time. This has been the business of extraordinary experiences. You've heard Nils Forsberg and me, your host, Klaus Oster. Thank you for listening.